Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Um, Praise the Lord, brother. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? We are excited because this is one of those scenarios where we get to dig in with somebody from our home fellowship. And in fact, at Blessed Hope Chapel, and we'll put a link in the description because we do have two live streams a week on Wednesday nights as well as Sunday mornings that you guys are more than welcome partaking in. And also you can check them out later. Any sort of teachings, we have over 100 teachings on there. I don't even know how many teachings we have on our Blessed Hope Chapel uh, YouTube channel that you guys can check out at any time. And, and over a thousand that aren't live streamed or, yeah. or so. You know. Yeah, amen. So we have we have a number of teachings going back all the way to 2007 I've seen on our Blessed Hope Chapel website. That's two years before I was even saved. So, you know, praise God. But one of the cool things is, is we actually have a number of Bible studies at our home church. We have three different studies led by three different women at the fellowship, as well as multiple male studies as well, not including the studies that happen on Wednesdays and Sundays and so forth. But one of the things was Mary Drinkle, who's running, uh, I, I guess it's the Thursday night teaching series that she's doing for the ladies, she is going through the book of Mark with them, and she came across this text and wanted to ask Joe about it. And so I'm going to read the text so you guys get, I'm going to read the context of it too, so we're not just throwing out a random question, because if I read to you Mark 14, 51, and 52 and give you no context, you're going to ask the same question I had. Wait, what's the question? <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna give you guys the context of what's going on, and then Joe's going to give more of the question that Mary had about what's going on here, and then he's going to dig into the Scriptures, and we're going to dig into the Scriptures together. So, as always, with the Good Fight Radio Show, make sure you guys have your Bibles out. That's why we're here. We're here to dig into the Word of God together, and we want to turn some pages with you guys. So, Mark chapter 14. I'm going to start at verse 43, but most of the question happens in 51 and 52. Immediately, while he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, and accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. So here are the, questions. Here are the verses at question. A young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him, and he, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. 
So, Joe, I guess the only question I have is what on earth is going on in 51 and 52 of this chapter? Yeah, and it's a great question, and Mary's, Mary's does a great job with the gals. we got three really good women Bible study teachers. Uh, the question was, she said, she wasn't, she's going through the Gospels of Mark, and she said, even though she wasn't teaching specifically on that, she said, I know this is going to come up, she said, and I've looked at different commentaries, and she said, nothing's satisfying, because it just kind of, what's going on? There's this disciple there, and he's wearing a sheet, or... You know, and, and all of a sudden he flees and he's naked and it doesn't give any, like, you know, real clear context. And uh, and it's a great question, you know, because that's, uh, I'm sure all of us have gone through that, especially first time you've been through it, It's like, what's happening here? And it's a great question, but I love these kinds of questions because the questions were, I found the questions that are the most difficult, we've talked about this before, questions that are, that almost seem to be contradictory to a degree until you realize what's going on. You know they're not because God's word is, uh, is God breathed. And then when you come to realize what's going on in a lot of these cases, it's eye-opening. And I believe the Lord does this on purpose to get us to think. Uh, so her, her deal was that, you know, I have looked at a number of commentaries, and she said the explanations that are given don't make sense. They don't seem to really fit. And then she said she's happier with the ones who just don't give any and say, I don't know. She goes, I respected those guys the most because if you don't make sense, don't even put it out there, you know. But if you're doing a commentary, you want to try to make sense of the Verses too, so I understand that. And uh, so that's, so I just, I was actually visiting the, uh, my three month after my ablation surgery uh, checkup deal. Uh, and by the way, that went well, thank the Lord. My heart's in Amen. great shape by the grace of God. Uh, but it's interesting. I, my wife and I were there, and I answered her when my wife was reading lunch out there in Santa Barbara. It's a couple hour drive, and we grabbed a bite. And so I texted her, texted her, and I thought we were going to do multiple questions, so I was just going to read my text. That all, you know what? I'm going to hit multiple questions. I'll just read the text. And Mary said that she, uh, she said the answer. She was real excited about, it. like, wow, that makes so much sense. And she said she read it to all the women, and they all were like in, into it, like, wow, that makes a lot of sense, kind of thing. And uh, so then we decided to do, you know, entire show on this question because it's a fascinating qu- question and a and a very instructive answer. It's not just oh, that makes sense. It's wow, it's very instructive. And that's why I let her know in my text that I. I sent to her and uh that it's so that there's a lot lot there to just get your brain around that can help us in our christian walks and one thing that happens is a lot of uh exegetes commentators they'll try to guess who it is you know some will say it's nicodemus you know and they'll try to prove it's john mark who wrote the gospel mark and kind of like leonardo da vinci who does a painting and kind of makes a reference or hides himself in the painting somewhere some of you believe he painted himself into the mona lisa that was really him as a woman, you know? So you have people saying, well, that's Mark kind of sneaking himself in there uh, in a way, not really sneaking, but just putting himself in there. It's biographical, but he doesn't give his name. So you have, you know, a, a lot of, you know, guesses like that. And for me, I don't believe we know clearly who it is. It doesn't clearly state who it is. But I believe that's for a reason. I believe, I believe it's, that, that disciple is not named because I believe he represents the disciples in general. And... That's my personal conviction, and I'm sure some commentator somewhere has said that because I, I don't see that as being, uh, I, and you'll see why I say that in a moment. Uh, also, it's kind of interesting because I think we miss the main point if we think it's Mark trying to say, hey, look, at I'm in here too, you know? Uh, and I was reading, you know, the Complete Biblical Library, which I think the Complete Biblical Library commentary is a pretty solid commentary yeah. overall. I like it a lot, actually. It's got some good things to say, uh, and it's not in print anymore. But it's interesting because 
it states, it, it claims basically like John Mark was there and he was going hastily. And he's not one of the apostles, but he sees the other apostles going with Jesus. He knows it's crunch time in some way. And he's kind of following after them. He's young and he just, just leaves his home and just grabs a, a, a garment, you know. And many believe this is speaking of a linen sheet or an undergarment uh, that's just covering him because he's in haste. Uh, and that he then, well, this commentary goes on to say that, quote, as to the identity, the most logical conclusion is that it is John Mark, author of the gospel. If so, meaning the gospel of Mark, which is, this appears in, right? It doesn't appear in the other gospels. If so, the Holy Spirit thus gave honor to Mark, who stayed with Jesus longer than the disciples. So this was the deal. Hey, Mark's shown himself there, and he's, you know, he's writing his gospel, and and I notice how they say the Holy Spirit put in there, because it, the, the, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, amen. But they don't want Mark to put himself in there to get honor. But they're saying that's really what it's about. And I'm like, it misses the point totally. It's not about honor at all. I mean, it's about our human our human failures. It's about shame is really what it's about, you know. And my heart breaks for this disciple that this happened to, but he represented all the disciples. And when we look closer, because my, my strong belief, and I know you have this conviction, Chad, and we do as a fellowship, and we do as brothers and sisters of Christ that are part of our, our group, is that the Scripture's own best interpreter. The Bible says rightfully dividing the word of truth, right? The Bible says comparing that which is spiritual with that which is spiritual. Uh, so when you compare Scripture with Scripture, you, you get a better picture of what's going on here. So it's, But that, that commentary couldn't be more far off. And I want to let you guys know that when you realize what it is about and you realize how it led to this shame, you see that we're to do the opposite so we don't have this kind of shame. And let's let's kind of dig into it a bit now because uh, it's a great question, but it has a, a really, really a great answer. In fact, if the disciple was named, I don't think we'd get as much out of it. But keep in mind, earlier in the chapter, Jesus said that all the disciples would fall away. Just in chapter 14, you read from 14, 51 and 52. Let's read from verses 27 through 31. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the shepherd shall, the, the sheep shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before the rooster crows thrice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And now this is important. And they were they all were saying the same thing also. And all and also is emphasizing they were saying the same thing as Peter. A lot of times we say, man, Peter was boasting, I will never fall away, and, and he blew it big time. And we forget that they were all saying the same thing. <laughs> Peter is centered out in here because he's he'll be the leader and not the Pope, you know. In fact, he won't even make the decision. James will in John in Acts chapter 15. Yep. But he'll lead the church for the first several chapters of the book Acts. He's in the forefront often and then You'll see Paul take, you know, then it becomes a focal point on his ministry. And it focuses on how this guy who was a leader amongst the apostles uh, fell radically. But we, those words are very important. Uh, and they were all saying the same thing. Also, they were contradicting Jesus. This is God in the flesh who they've been seeing raise people from the dead, heal the blind, unstop deaf ears, walk on water. And they're contradicting what he's saying about the future. And they need to understand what he says about the future is vital. Otherwise, their faith could be radically shaken. And he says that they are all going to betray him, or I should say deny him. One will betray him. That will be, uh, that'll be 
Judas, of course. Now, it's interesting, though, that there's something hap happening here. You have a disciple who's fleeing. A disciple is a learner, a follower of Jesus. And this, so there's an irony. There's a lot of irony in this whole passage. And these couple little verses, brothers and sisters, when you see verses that are like, wow, what's that mean? Fear them out. Pray. Say, Lord, what's going on here? Because this is so, one of my favorite little parts of the Gospel of Mark. And to me, it preaches well because you can really encourage people in Christ with this passage. It encourages me. And I know what I'm encouraged by a passage to, to a promise or a warning that I, I realize, you know, that's going to, that's going to bless other people. And we see him, him rather than following, he's fleeing. So, uh, this is very important because these disciples said they would never flee. And we don't know. I mean, he's saying this guy this, in the complete, uh, the library, the commentator in the Gospel of Mark there is saying, he, you know, it's John Mark, not one of the 12. Or we know Peter, James, John, and Andrew were the, or Peter, James, and John were the ones with him in the Gethsemane. So he's saying it wasn't one of those, but it was one of those that followed far off. We don't know who it was specifically. That misses the point. It's what happened. And it's not a place of honor, uh, as we'll see. So all of these guys, and he was definitely a disciple. So he's probably the same mind, whether he was with the, the 12 at the time or the 11, because Jews would betray him after he partook of, or after the cup was passed to him, and the devil filled him. What's interesting here is they all fled. And we read some, some really interesting things going on here. Also, what's going on with the disciples? So he represents all the disciples, I believe. What's going on with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane? They're supposed to be praying, but they're snoring, right? They're sleeping. Yep. You've got followers, disciples, but he's following, but he's fleeing, this guy. And when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane after they've said, oh, we won't, we'll do this, you know, Jesus, you, you're basically wrong. What happens there? Why don't you read that passage? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, Jesus in Gethsemane, obviously, it's one of the toughest things to read, you know, uh, yeah. in, in all of Scripture, you know, Amen. right before he goes to the cross. But I'll start in, in verse 37 after Jesus is obviously crying out right before that. And then in verse 37, it says, And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Yeah, that's really, really tragic. And it's interesting too, because when you look at the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, specifically the Gethsemane in, in the Synoptic Gospels, there's one point where it says, arise. It's not usually translated this way, but it says, arise, sleep. It's like, what? <laughs> arise and sleep. Or arise and sometimes translate, I think, in the King James and take your rest or something, which makes no sense. So usually it's arise and, you know, they, they kind of like try to finesse the, the, the Greek there to say, you know, basically let's go, uh, arise, let's go, and uh, some take it as rest later or what have you because you've already blown your opportunity or, you know, the time's at hand, I'm betrayed in the hand of sinners and what have you. But I think what could be happening there is Jesus saying arise and sleep. You're going to be asleep. Basically, this is what's going to happen to you now. Because you haven't prayed like I've asked you to, like I've warned you to, and I told you you're going to fall away because I knew you weren't going to pray and you weren't going to be ready and the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and he says pray that you don't enter in temptation there in the garden. They're going to enter in temptation now. So guess what? You're going to rise and you're going to be sleepwalking now. 
Yeah, something I, I I think is so interesting because it even mentions that their eyes are heavy. But and and I think and you know I don't want to preach too much here. I know you got some more to go through. Take but your time, when bro. I when I when I see that text and you see they're too tired to pray, right? But he's not too tired to cut off Malthus's ear. No, you know what I'm saying. So you know people Another think irony. of the battle and and we're in a, a real spiritual battle here. But a lot of people are asleep at the wheel. You right. know when it comes to their prayer life and right. prayer life becomes a spare tire rather than the wheel, right? And uh, for a lot of people, and you see that in that text of you're too tired, their their eyes are heavy, like you said. She's like, I know you're going to sleep, you know, yeah. arise, but I know what's going to happen here. But yet you had enough energy to cut yeah. off a man's ear, you know. It's right, really and, and that's great, a great point, Chad, because today what do we have in the church? We have what you're basically commenting on. There's an emphasis sometimes on us taking the physical kingdom like Peter off yeah. of Malchus's ear, you know, yeah. rather than. Uh, recognizing it's a spiritual kingdom that we're in. We belong to Christ. He is going to inaugurate the physical kingdom. And rather than praying and saying, Lord, thy kingdom come, we're like, we're going to do it ourselves, you know? So it's kind of interesting. So it's interesting. uh, The disciples are being charged to stay awake and pray. Now, it's interesting. There's also this idea that Jesus has already given them to keep their clothes on. Think about that. Uh, and he, it's it's a metaphor for being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and and and, and in, in in the garments of salvation, going all the way back to the Old Testament. And then you have a warning in Revelation chapter three to the Church of Laodicea about because keep in mind this guy was also stripped naked, so he's not just fleeing; he is stripped naked. And you have to understand in this day and age when people are basically don't cover themselves up very much at all. Uh, <laughs> It was such a shame in those days to be unclothed. To when it, that's what's remarkable about the prodigal son's father, right? He hikes his his robe up so he can run, and that would be considered shameful to the people watching. But it's how much he loved his son, he wanted to go and greet him and so forth. And it wasn't obscene because it was just his leg showing. But the idea was he did something that wasn't normative in that culture. But uh, we're seeing something more than this guy's legs. We're seeing his buttocks, you know, and. He's naked. You're seeing his privates, and it's embarrassing. And this would be so shameful in the you know uh, Greco-Roman world, especially there in with among the Jews, you know, uh, and so forth. So we read in Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, about his coming and how we better be ready and we better be awake and we better be clothed. And we read Jesus regarding his second coming. And, I, and Jesus, or the God, uh, Apostle John states, quote, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. So he sees these unclean spirits being issued forth from the, the beast, the false prophet, and uh, Satan himself. And what do they do? They are spirits of demons performing signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together to the uh, war of the great day of God the Almighty, which is Armageddon, right? So they're gathering the world together against Israel, against Christ. Behold, I am coming quickly, we read in verse 15, like a thief, Jesus says. I'm coming quickly like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. Okay? Stay awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. We're saying this is a shameful thing, right? Uh, And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, being naked is a picture of apostasy, not being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your, your sin, remember Adam's and Eve's nakedness, they covered up, they're trying to hide their sin. And then God gives them animal sacrifice, pointing to the righteousness of Christ, whereby they're clothed. 
Well, this guy is not walking as a disciple. Now he's fleeing as a coward, and he's not following Jesus. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father in heaven. And, and Peter denied him three times. This guy's denying him by his activity. Remember, he said, I'm, they, they said they were willing to go to prison and death with him. Okay? Now listen to Revelation 3.17 to the church of Laodicea. Because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I think that's so important. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40, Jesus told, told the apostles before this, be dressed in readiness. And then he says, and keep your lamps lit, right? Remember the 10 virgins, you know, their lamps, yeah. only five stayed and they were about ready to go out. Uh, and the other was went out and they fell asleep and only five went into the, into the kingdom. So this is very, very important stuff. And Jesus goes on to talk about the servant who isn't, doesn't stay awake, doesn't stay clothed, goes and beats his maidservants, gets drunk with the drunkards, is cut in pieces and thrown with the unbelievers on judgment day. By the way, being a naked is a picture of judgment. Amos chapter 2, verse 16, when speaking of the judgment of Israel, says, even the harvest among the warriors, I'm sorry, yeah, even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. So it's talking about, you know, that's a shameful thing for someone who claims to be a warrior for the Lord, right? It also depicts, as I mentioned, vivid shame in the Old Testament, not just the New, and this was the idea that apostles had and, and the people of their, their their culture and time. Isaiah 24 says, So the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot with their buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Mm. So we're just talking about this emphasis on shame. And now you have these various examples in chapter 14 of apostasy. That's what I believe he's talking about here. You have Judas goes to betray Jesus. You have Peter, denies him three times. You have the disciples in general, all falling away, Jesus said they would. You have Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all fail miserably. Then you have this fifth example. This disciple, unnamed disciple, flees instead of following, and he's naked, you know? Uh, so we have a picture here. of. So when the commentators say, and I know they're giving it their best shots, but when he says this was to honor Mark, like, no, if it was John Mark, and it could have been, we don't know who it was, it wasn't an honor at all. It wasn't, you know? No, I think that's, I think it's really interesting, too, because you're reading from the book of Revelation there, specifically in these judgments, and that they were naked, and they were asleep, and you think of who was there in Gethsemane, you know? Uh -huh. It's Peter, James, John, you know? It's really interesting when you see that the same author that wrote the book of Revelation, that actually, that obviously it came from Jesus, but uh, using John, um, then also being somebody who was actually there when this took place. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great point, you know? Yeah, we're not saying it wasn't John Mark, you know? So we're just saying whoever it was, because I don't want to say this is who it was, and it's the most logical conclusion. You can say that, but I don't have that conviction. For oh, yeah, sure. yeah. But if it was, that would make a lot of sense. But the fact that he was, as you're emphasizing, naked, in, in Mark 14, 41 and 42. Now, this is where it gets really, really cool. Because it's like, oh, this is such a sad story, you know? Embarrassing. But guess what? It, all these things point us back to Jesus. Our failures point us to the fact that we need Jesus and we need to obey his word. We need to trust what his prophecies state. Look what's going on in Israel just recently. I mean, just all these bombings and these attacks from Hamas and so forth. Uh, and, and my daughter, Holly, was talking today. She was listening to our podcast, you know, uh, when we were talking about Jerusalem and and how there'll be this burdensome stone and the nations yeah. will come against. He goes, Dad, I'm I'm looking at the news. What's going on here, you guys? Is it's like this is happening today? This kind of stuff. What's leading up to it? Certainly, yeah. and these, it's all relevant 
But the good news is this. Sadly, the, the, the young man, the term linen cloth, having to do with this young man, I think it's fascinating. It's only used in one other context other than with this young man being stripped of it. It's used of the burial cloth that Jesus was buried with. And, and I know your brain's probably racing right now, Chad. 14, 51 and 52, so he talks about the young man's linen cloth and then he escapes naked. But in chapter 15, the next chapter, verse 46, Joseph brought a linen cloth, took him down, that is Jesus from the cross, right? Wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. This is a great strike. It's not like a lot of some commentators, like, we don't know why John did this. It kind of, you know, the flow or whatever. It's like, no, this is actually to show this guy's sinfulness and his sin. He's naked. The linen cloth is gone. And it shows that linen cloth. Now, guess what? It's interesting that Joseph, Arimathea, puts it onto Jesus because he bore our sin. And this represents our sin. We, he bore our sins so we could bear his garments of salvation. I just think it's interesting that, that that linen cloth, you can look it up. I've looked at the Greek instances where you see it in the Synoptic Gospels. The only time you see it is Synoptic Gospels. And every time you see it, it's either it's twice with this young man and the other occasions on the Synoptics are always with Jesus' burial where he has this linen cloth uh, put on him, which would make sense that it was some type of either sheet or undergarment that this, this guy just wrapped himself and maybe followed the other the main disciples or apostles that went into the garden with him and then was on the outskirts. And it wasn't because he was more noble, you know, and, and honored. It was because probably he wasn't right with them, but then he fled anyway. Or like, hey, maybe you were with them. So it's interesting because Jesus bore our sin. And in his death and burial, now in his burial, sin is represented, you know, that, that cloth had to do with death and him bearing our sin. So I think that's very, very important. Now, and very, very interesting as well. But also, I think this is interesting. There's only... One other time uh, in the Gospel of Mark that you see this term young man. And when you see this term young man, it comes up later in Mark. So you have uh, in 1451, it's used of this guy, the young man. And the Greek word is, is neoniskos. And neoniskos is the Greek word for young man. And you only see it there in Mark in one other time. So a young man, a, a, a young or neoniskos, uh, was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Well, guess what? Next time you see that is John chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16, verse 5, of Jesus in his resurrected state, entering the tomb, I'm sorry, not of Jesus' resurrected state, of the young angel that has rolled the stone away, is sitting on the rock. It says, entering the tomb, they saw a young man, a neoniskos, okay, sitting at the right uh, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 3, we, it reads, uh, the appearance, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. So to me, God is crafting by his Holy Spirit a picture through this incident, saying this young man is a failure, like all you humans are. But guess what? My son bore that shame and bore your robe of unrighteousness, so you can be robed in righteousness, in blazing light, and this young man is now, guess what? He can be lifted up to this stature like this angel, triumphant because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Are you with me? It's pretty amazing when you think about it. And I love Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be white like wool. And I love it because we're, you know, we had a Dr. Habermas on, and he just gave, you know, some great, awesome stuff about the resurrection of Christ. And 
talked about the Shroud of Turin. Yep. And I, I was hoping he'd go where he went on with it. But there's an effusion of energy that they can't explain. It wasn't art. It wasn't done with human, you know, anything that they could do even today. You have this explosion of like light radiance, which will be changed in the twinkle of an eye. And his image is just on this, this interesting shroud. And in the same way, we, because we identify with Christ through faith, we have the righteousness of Christ and we have been imputed to us through faith in him, what he's done on the cross for our sins. We now are robed in his righteousness. And also we are being transformed from glory to glory practically to be like him by the Holy Spirit. I just think there's this wonderful picture going on here and the most simple or most sometimes abstract things are the most beautiful sometimes when you really penetrate and watch the literary emphasis. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202 Simi Valley, California, 93062, or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.